Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. This week, reviewing Mid-South Wrestling Television from November 26th, 1983, taped November 23rd, 1983, at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. I am the great Brian Last, my pleasure to be with you once again, and of course, Joining me, as he always does, from Booking the Territory, Mike Mills. Mike, how are you today? Brian, we have waited quite some time to get to this point. Uh, it has been months in the making, it feels like. We've, we've gone through some rather rough, rough times in Mid-South Wrestling over the last, I would say, few months and weeks. And it's, it has been, you know, a struggle at times. We've talked quite a bit about it. We've talked about just the booking. We've talked about how things are discombobulated. It's just been a rough, rough slog, if I can use that word. And now we've reached a moment where things are going to pick up. And I've got a lot to say at a certain point in this episode because I've got a couple of perspectives from now versus then. But I think, and I'm sure you're going to agree, we are right where the sweet spot is about to come and it's going to be some better days ahead unlike what we've been talking about and as i say that one more point there was about a three four week ago time frame where you and i talked about the bottom like well we're at the bottom here and then a couple weeks after that we were saying it again boy this is the bottom which was last week i think we're not going to say the bottom anymore for a, for a long time. And I'll leave it at that as we get ready to get into a tremendous uh, start. I don't want to call it restart, but a tremendous, we're getting a jump in Mid-South right here. Well, what better way to commemorate 100 episodes of this podcast than here on episode 100, having the beginning of a new era from Mid-South Wrestling, the arrival of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express, which also means the arrival of Bill Dundee as a booker, and in the coming weeks, an influx of talent, of young talent, of really high-impact, fast-moving wrestlers coming into the territory to completely change the face of Mid-South Wrestling for 1984, which would be the record year for Mid-South Wrestling in terms of attendance and, of course, in terms of money. But before we get there, we have to talk about this week's show, November 26, 1983. Let's go to the show open. Cowboy Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce. This week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and alongside of me, our expert commentator and president of Mid-South Wrestling, Bill Watts. Well, thank you, Boyd. Earlier, we pre-taped an interview with Crusher Darso, a 303-pound young stallion that came to Mid-South to make a name for himself, and he's faced a couple of the toughest in the world. Let's listen to that interview with Crusher Darso. The Junkyard Dog, the North American champion, the legend of Mid-South Wrestling, has the most formidable opponent he's ever faced for the North American title. Nikolai Volkov, the superhuman, cynical, cruel, cold Russian machine, Russian Superman. Only one man, Crusher Darso, has faced both of these men since coming to Mid-South. Crusher Darso has only beaten, beaten twice in Mid-South, once by the Junkyard Dog and once by Nikolai Volkov. And we want you to give us your opinion of these two men in that matchup for the North American title. But first, let's watch the closing moments of a match recently here on TV with Darso versus Volkov. 
Well, there it is. A quick open to the show, and we go right to this interview with Bill Watts and Crusher Darso, although we'll come out of it in a moment after this recap of Darso versus Volkov. Not one word from Darso. Darso stands there, and Bill Watts does all the talking here in this short interview segment. Any thoughts about this and Crusher Darso? Big guy. When you see him next to Bill Watts, you realize just how big he was there. But Crusher Darso here with Cowboy Bill Watts, Mike. Yeah, and they're gonna they they throw to the replay of Darso and Volkov, and and if you remember when we reviewed that match, I pointed out how Nikolai just I mean Darso's a big man as you said standing next to Watts, but Nikolai I don't want to say he manhandled him, but God I mean he picked up Darso like Darso was nothing, and if you remember I said during the finisher I was like, dude he picks up Darso for this finisher. He gets him over his head, which is no easy feat. I mean, even if a man is helping you, it's not easy. And he gets him over his head, and he does his finisher. And it's not the greatest-looking finish in the world, but, you know, you got to consider you're picking up a very large human being. And you're right. Bill Watts is a big man, and he's standing next to Watts, and he's every bit the size. Oh, he, I don't want to say he's every bit the size. I can't tell if Watts is like, you know, got his leg spread where he's trying to look a little shorter or whatnot. I mean, you know, we know promoters do things like that. But, you know, Darso is a big man. So it, it's, it is very impressive when you see him next to Watts and he's looking like he's almost the same height and whatnot. But once again, that Volkov finish, when he got him above his head, I was like, man, it's pretty impressive. So, yeah, Volkov, I'm sorry, Darso doesn't say anything right there. We go to the replay and then we come out of it and we got some, some stuff we definitely got to talk about related to this promo with Darso. Well, let's go now to this promo. Once again, Cowboy Bill Watts and Crusher Darso. Darso being the only man who has wrestled both Nikolai Volkov and the Junkyard Dog in Mid-South Wrestling. Well, there you have it, and you have wrestled both. What is your opinion? First, the Junkyard Dog. Well, like you said earlier, Mr. Watts, I, uh, since I've been down here, I've only been beaten twice. And when I wrestled the Junkyard Dog, it was my first toughest match. And he, I didn't think he overpowered me or anything. But he's just got the years of experience and everything, and that's kind of what hurt me. But, but uh, Nikolai Volkov, when I went against him, he's the first man that ever made me feel like a little baby. I couldn't do anything. When he picked me up over my head, I, just, I felt helpless out there. Well, to tell the people what you think in the confrontation for the North American title, if you were picking who was going to have that title after that confrontation, who would you pick? Well, after wrestling both of them, uh, I would have to say Nikolai Volkov was a stronger man, a better athlete. So, Well, I know politically that the Russian and you are poles apart, but it sounds like you're very, very impressed with his athletic ability. Well, after all my power lifting and wrestling and everything, he's just got something that I really want to learn, and that's the strength and the ability of wrestling. I want that. Crusher Darso picks Nikolai Volkov. Well, there you heard the opinion of a man who has faced both men. Crusher Darso, and he picks the Russian. Let's go to Jim Ross in the ring for the first match. Well, there it is, Mike Crusher Darso being interviewed by Bill Watts, and not to play spoiler or talk about things in the future, but just the idea that JYD and Nikolai are working house shows. This is a pretty effective way of letting the people at home know that Nikolai is a legitimate threat. Now, of course, he had the run with the North American title, although that was overturned and I guess kind of wiped from the books but he beat T.A. for the title. He's been dominant in Mid-South Wrestling so far, really getting put over big time by Bill Watts on commentary. But to have Crusher Darso, again, not to talk about where things are going to go, but just in a vacuum, 
everyone at home is watching someone who has been established as a babyface in Mid-South Wrestling, and he's very calmly, although awkwardly at times, I think he said, Nikolai, pick me up over my head, which physically can't happen, but, you know, Crusher Darso is a little nervous on interviews still. But he's saying that he picks Nikolai over the dog. It's pretty good stuff here. Yeah, and you got to take it. The It's a realistic perspective if you're talking about this being like a, a real, you know, a real fight, real match. He's wrestled both. So he's got the perspective of, OK, I've wrestled both of these guys. I know who's powerful and who's not. So he's taken. I mean, this is a firsthand experience. I've wrestled both. And he's like, man, I, I just thought Volkov, he just was so powerful, man. He picked me up like a baby. And he didn't pick him up like a baby, but I mean, it, it, again, I made the point. He certainly, he certainly was able to throw him around, and you don't expect a man that size to be able to be thrown around. So I thought there was something to that. You know, it's it's easy. I always say this, Brian. It's easy for us to know what's coming because we've seen this so many times and we've watched it for years. We know what's going to be coming. But I mean, if I look back, I, I don't remember. Well, I remember watching this as a kid, but I don't know if as a kid I was like. Oh, that means, you know, he's going to turn. It means something's coming. Like, I, I never imagined that at that point. I was only eight years old, but it wasn't at foreshadowed time. at all. Right. In, in that promo, there was nothing in that promo that made you think Crusher Darso is going to, you know, go to the dark side or whatever you want to say. There was nothing in that promo. He was calm. He was just saying, based on his experience in the ring, what he thought. And for that reason, I thought it was effective. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's And that's exactly what I was going to say. He was being calm. He was cool. I mean, he was nervous, like you said, but there's nothing there that would make you believe that something else was coming. And I mean, if you want to even go back further, he turned down Skandar Hackbar's oil money, if you recall. Because of that, I really didn't think he was going to do anything heinous. Uh, it just seemed like he was being calmly interviewed and he made a fair comparison. He was very, very, you know, objective when he said, Look, man, this guy's he's a beast. He's very strong. I, I, I you know, I, I was amazed by that. And he's wrestled the dog, too. And he was like, the dog, you know, he didn't insult the dog. He just said Volkov is, a, is felt like a more powerful man. And there's nothing, you know, he's just telling he's telling you his perspective and how he feels. And I just thought it was really good. And of course, you know, again, we've got the hindsight to know now what happens. So it'll be interesting as we watch this play out and how they how this all goes. We go to our first match on this week's show, Nikolai Volkov versus Joshua Stroud, Johnny Martinez, the referee, Jim Ross, the ring announcer this week, Reese Bowden, not the ring announcer. Of course, they play the Russian national anthem before the match begins. I will say, we'll play a little bit of audio in a moment. Mike, tell me what you thought, but Josh Stroud, who we've seen before, is completely lost in this match. He doesn't know how to bump. He doesn't know how to work with Nikolai at all. It's awkward to watch. He doesn't know what he's doing in the ring. The man looks like a million dollars. I mean, he's got a great physique, great body. He looks great as far as just standing there. And But the bell rings, and he doesn't know. <laughs> the thing Austin used to say, he doesn't know whether the crap or wine is why. He is lost. Completely the bumping, hitting the ropes. He the the guy is lost, and you nailed it. I, there's nothing else you can say, but he's lost. He does looks awkward and lost. Let's get a little bit of audio from Cowboy Bill Watts talking about Nikolai Volkov and Russia, and also someone 
who is at ringside watching this match. Let's go to this. The Russian says the dog owes him the North American title, that he won the title fair and square in the ring, and they stripped him of it, took it away from him, just like the United States does the American wheat. They sell it to Russia, make a contract, and when anything goes wrong, they revoke the contract and freeze the wheat. Crusher Darso standing closely by the ring area, studying every move of Nikolai Volkov. Darso seems almost mesmerized by the man's power and strength. He said that the two things that he loves the most, powerlifting and wrestling, the Russians dominate the whole world with. He wants to learn how to gain insight into their technique, their training method. Well, there it is, a little bit of storytelling. Crusher Darso, who we just heard from at ringside, watching Nikolai Volkov and He's fascinated by the training techniques and the strength of Nikolai and the Russian athletes. Yeah, and they show the, like you say, they show the clip of, you know, he's kind of just pacing back and forth. Darso looks serious as he watches the match. It's nothing, again, it, it doesn't, to me, foreshadow anything. He's just out there kind of watching Nikolai work and, and wrestle Stroud and beat him down. And it, it makes you think. Now, I wanted to say something about geopolitics Watts here. He's talking about how, you know, he talked about the wheat, but then he repeats that I popped. Volkov sends half of his money back to Russia so Russia can buy more war bonds. I thought that was great. <laughs> just, <laughs> he's, just, <laughs> he's sending half of his money back so they can buy war bonds. But anyway, um, yeah, man, it's his geopolitical Bill Watts. If you remember, I said it months ago. I was like, get ready. You're going to hear Bill Watts on Russia all the time and he's not he's he it, it's not failing us at this point yeah i think in the run of mid-south wrestling the three entities that bill watts just rants about the most are in order russia wwf iran i think in order it's those three entities that he yes. just goes off on at various points <laughs> yes nikolai wins with his backbreaker we then go to our next match one half of the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions, Jim the Anvil Neidhart versus Tony Torres, Randy Pee-Wee Anderson, the referee, Butch Reed at ringside, of course, being the other half of the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions. I didn't have any notes about this other than Jim Neidhart wins with the fallaway slam. Any thoughts or notes from you, Mike? I was going to ask you one question, and, and it's, it's nothing of importance, but I caught it on commentary because it just kind of tells you where wrestling is. Jim Ross, uh, during uh, during the introduction, says Tony Torres weighs two hundred and twenty pounds. Now, uh, uh, Tony no Torres, way. no way. No okay, way. no way. It's not. It's not that he's skinny because if you if you really look at him, he's not really like a skinny guy. But dude, he looks like he's five foot seven, and I'm like, there's no way he's two hundred and twenty pounds. But I I I love you know Jr. saying that because I mean that's what they. Here's what they did back in the day, and I'm sure they, they still do this today, but they really did it back then. I mean, if, if a guy was 180, they had no trouble putting 40 pounds on him and saying he was 220. I mean, that's just how it was. So anyway, I just I, I laughed when I heard that. I was like, Tony Torres, as small as he is, there's no way he's 220. The other note I have is Jim Neidhart is vicious to Tony Torres. I mean, he dominates him from start to finish, yeah. with the exception of a small moment mid-match. Other than that, I mean, Neidhart's just... Dude, he is a bull. He is he is incredible. Everything Jim Neidhart, just like Nikolai Volkov, let me point it out. Everything they do is just looks vicious. I mean, he 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 throws this man around in the ring 
like he weighs like he's a you know a, a, a 10 pound bag of rice. I mean, it's incredible when you see these guys with their power because that stuff, again, is not easy to do. We go to our next match, the North American champion, Junkyard Dog versus Tonga. From Tonga, his name is also Tonga. Rick Ferreira, the referee. Now, Tonga is the future barbarian. If you ever want to see what the barbarian looked like before steroids, watch this. You could tell it's him facially, but his body is radically different. And he has the wild hair here, and he's barefoot. You would almost think it's a completely different guy, except that it is the barbarian. Any thoughts or notes before we play in the audio here, Mike? You took a little bit of my steam, but I'll mention it. The If you look at him, this is late 83, and then we'll see him in Crockett, Brian, what, uh, late 85 and in, into 86, right? That sounds right. I'm trying to remember when he first got there, but that sounds about yeah. right. So, and, and you point out, like, how different he looks. Now, he also did a couple of shows in world class as well uh, as Tonga, but you're absolutely right. You look at him, he's got a beard. His, his, he's got he's got a full head of hair, a full head of hair. When I say full head of hair, he's got a real full head of hair. Um, he's not sloppy looking. I don't want to want to give that impression or anything. He's a big man, but he definitely is not what you'll see just a year and a half later, two years later. Uh, he he drastically changes his body. Uh, he changes his look as well. I mean, he's got no face paint on here and whatnot. But yeah, Tonga, Tonga. Uh, I had to. I don't remember this as a kid. I don't remember seeing him like this. I had to take a second look, you know, rewatching this stuff. I was watching it years ago, but I was like, oh my God, that's uh, that's barbarian. Well, let's hear some audio from Cowboy Bill Watts about Tonga, as well as yet another airport excursion where he runs into someone else who he often talks about being in the airports, Jerry Clower. Let's go to this. Mighty Tonga has come to us unheralded. He came in, contacted Grizzly Smith, said he wanted the toughest man Mid-South has. And boy, I'll tell you, Tonga's an awesome-looking specimen. He's got legs like tree trunks and arms to go with it, but he's against the stallion. The JYD, North American champion, a man that pulled off 20 pounds in a surprise move. Once he regained that North American title, says he's going right on down to about 265 pounds. We'll have the strength and the endurance necessary to always be able to defend that title. Side trip by JYD, arm bar. We got a new team going to appear next. I ran into Jerry Clower in the airport in Atlanta the other day. You all remember Jerry, the five times in a row he's won the Country Comedian of the Year by CMA, Country Music Association. The Marcel Ledbetter family, he always talks about it. His first album was Knock Em Out John. And Jerry said, Cowboy, he said, I want to come down. He said, in Yazoo, Mississippi, I never miss watching Mid-South wrestling on television. He said, one of these days I'm going to surprise you and all the fans and come to Mid-South and say howdy. And I'll tell you, that'd be great. Jerry Clower's a number one nice guy. He and his daughter often go to Jackson, Mississippi and watch the pro wrestling there. Well, there it is, Cowboy Bill Watts on Jerry Clower. He just mentioned him a couple weeks ago that he ran into the Road Warriors in the airport, Jerry Clower. The other interesting thing, just in terms of putting together an idea of what was really going on behind the scenes here, now, the connection with Memphis had already happened. Watts attended a show at the Mid-South Coliseum and picked out wrestlers that he wanted to use, including Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. 
last week on the show, he only announced Dennis Condry. So sometime between last week's show and this week's show, the decision was made to make them the Midnight Express. But there was also the relationship with the Georgia office. Watts and Ole Anderson always got along. And apparently Bill Watts sometime in the last week was also in the Atlanta airport. So just trying to figure things out. It's some fascinating stuff. What do you think, Mike? You know, I, I heard you and Cornette talking about this a couple of weeks back, and it, it's it's really, you know, it's one of those things we'll, we'll never know, but it's a good thing to, to speculate about because, I mean, we we I say we'll never know. Maybe Watts remember specifically, but it's it's just one of those things where, you, you know, we've talked about it, how we've got the Road Warriors. They've been in, you know, they cut a promo. We it seemed like a direction was going that way. There's some other things that seem like there may be another direction going another way without us spoiling a future episode. So it's it's amazing like to think about it. And it's just like I feel like Bill Watts during this time, he he knew like he figured out, OK, I, I need to go in this direction. But he also was if he's if he's flying out of Atlanta, and he's not making this stuff up, um, you know, coming back to Louisiana. He's he's also like maybe he's not completely sold. Maybe he's just one of those things where, you know, in life where you keep your options open, you never want to close a door like that also kind of felt like what was going on. What do you think, Brian? I don't know exactly, because I think for the next few weeks, although Bill Dundee is the booker and the Memphis talent starts coming in, it seems like Bill Watts was still thinking about other things. I kind of wonder when Dusty was there a few weeks ago if maybe there were some conversations about Dusty taking over as the booker, because he was looking for a new booker. Ernie Ladd was done. He was not going to continue with Ernie Ladd. He wanted a new booker. This is also around the same time that Dusty's having these conversations with Jim Crockett Jr. Remember, right. Dusty came up with the idea of Starcade, which is, you know, right around, this episode's what, November 26th? Starcade was Thanksgiving 1983, and Dusty takes over as the booker there in early 84, Kind of wonder if Bill Watts, because he had that longstanding relationship with Dusty, he's the one who was the booker when Dusty became the American Dream in Florida. I kind of wonder if him and Dusty were talking about stuff too. Uh, he, it, it's not far fetched to believe that. It's that that's what I'm saying. It's like he was he had to be talking multiple parties, trying to keep options open, even though we know the direction that, that he seems to be committed to in this episode. I still feel like man. I don't know. It's like, well, was he still kind of just wondering, you know, it's like he knew he had committed to this, but he's it's it still feels like he was keeping his options open. I mean, it's 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 one of those things that you can speculate. You know, I don't know. You don't know for sure. But there's definitely definitely something going on. I mean, we we know there was we, we can see it because we're hearing it on commentary and then we'll see it. There's another episode coming up in a, in a week or two where the, it, we'll talk about this again. We're like, wow, this was still in the plans, it seems. so. Anyway, well, what you're talking about will be kind of teased later on in this show, so we'll talk about it when we get there, but the Junkyard Dog wins with the thump. Coming out of that, we get the debut of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry versus Rick Rude and Mike Jackson, so there's the trivia note of the first team that the Midnight Express wrestled in Mid-South Wrestling, Rick Rude and Mike Jackson, Johnny Martinez the referee, let's go to some audio, because Jim Cornette was not just a Skandar Akbar or a Gary Hart, he did his own ring introductions for his tag team, famously. So let's go to the very first time Jim Cornette was seen or heard on Mid-South Wrestling, and for historical purposes, in order to put this in the proper historical context, 
We're going to play the original audio as it aired on Mid-South Wrestling. Let's go to this. This match is one fall with a 10-minute time limit in tag team action in the blue corner at 235 pounds from Robbinsdale, Minnesota, Rick Rude. And his partner at 202 pounds from Birmingham, Alabama, Mike Jackson. And here to introduce... Just just go ahead and give me the microphone. I don't trust anybody to announce my team but myself. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you all know who I am. I don't need any introduction. Jimmy Cornett, one of the preeminent wrestling managers in the country today, one of the most successful, if I do say so myself. You've seen me all across the country on nationwide cable TV. Now you're seeing me right here in the Mid-South, along with the greatest tag team that you've ever seen. The abilities, the strength, the stamina, the skills of two men. Blended together as one. Twin sons of different mothers. Ladies and gentlemen, the most awesome force in tag team wrestling today, Loverboy Dennis and beautiful Bobby, the Midnight Express. Over the years on Mid-South Wrestling, we've had a lot of introductions, but I don't believe any with the cocksureness and the aggressiveness and confidence has brought anybody to the ring as their manager, Jim Cornett, brought on the Midnight Express. Boy, I was in Memphis, Tennessee, and these guys are awesome. Small, quick, and devastating. Johnny Martinez calls for the bell. All right, Dennis Condry. Coming out to face Rick Rude. Like you say, these guys are quick. They're sudden. Condry and Bobby Eaton. And they're against a good, quick, fast team. I guarantee you, Grizzly Smith has it matched tonight so that these guys will be tested 100% to see if they can handle it right here at Mid-South. Jimmy Cornett had talked to Grizzly Smith and said, we've heard about the competition down there. We want to bring this team down, and we plan to come down there and take those Mid-South Tag Team titles. Well, there it is, Mike, the debut of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express on Mid-South Wrestling Television. And just from the introduction, it certainly signifies a change in Mid-South. It's a different energy just there with a manager who had never been seen before coming out there and giving the introduction, the heel tag team having music to come to the ring to, which we really haven't seen. It's always been the baby faces with the music. What are your thoughts on all of this? So I got two separate thoughts. The music is definitely something. I mean, because, I mean, Dog has his music, but it's still something to see the Midnight come out to that music. I mean, that's one of the greatest entrance songs of all time, in my opinion. But it's, so you got two perspectives. One is, I always reference, like, you know, when I saw this as a kid. So that's my first perspective. First perspective is, see it as a kid, and you're like, oh, new tag team. Obviously, this Cornette guy is doesn't seem like he's a good fellow. He seems like he's, you know, like pompous and arrogant and 
I don't know if I'm gonna like these people too much because that's a perspective you had back then. You know, when you when you watch somebody for the first time, you're like, oh, okay, he's a bad guy. Like that's what goes through your mind. And then you see Bobby and Dennis, and they are moving. Like when you watch this match, they're moving quickly. The pace is picked up. It, it's incredible because like I think Dennis is like 31 years old here, and he still looks like he's freaking 45. I it's the damnedest thing. Um, and then Bobby, Bobby looks really young to me though. And I think Bobby, you know, Bobby's in his 20s. Uh, Cornette. Oh my God, it is baby face Cornette. He's not not actually baby face, but you know what I mean. He's just so young. Um, but it's you got the perspective, like as you watch these guys for the first time, you're like, okay, so they're they're obviously not good guys. They 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 are bad guys. You know the way Cornette is kind of arrogant. Uh, it's a, like you have that perspective, and then you know we've got the benefit of hindsight here. We saw what the Midnight Express ended up becoming over the next you know almost decade. So then you've got that perspective, like, wow, look at this when they first came into my territory. Like, uh, it's it's fun to look back at them now, look at how this, you know, take it in from from this year, not in 1983 and what they become, because it's two different perspectives. One of them is, OK, I was just starting to hate them this week of 1983. And now I'm like, wow, they're one of my favorite tag teams of all time. Um, you can definitely feel a change of pace though, to the point you made with the, with the music and corny announcing them and he does their introductions. You can definitely feel the change of pace in it all. And it, it, it feels like a breath of fresh air, like immediately it's, it, it doesn't feel like it's something that's happening over time. You, you, you kind of feel the energy pick up in the building. I hadn't watched this match in a while. I was surprised just how much. Dennis and Bobby gave to Rick Rude and Mike Jackson. They sold a lot in the early portion of this match, considering it's a debut. Yeah, and but but the match also was very quick. They 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 gave up a little in the beginning, but the match was not a long match in itself. Like they 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 beat. I'll say they. I'll say this after the first part, like opening, like where Mike Jackson is getting some stuff in on Bobby. They they end up, you know, putting it to him and, and winning, I'll call it convincingly. I mean, it wasn't a squash. It wasn't that, but they definitely do win. Bobby's uh, great bumping skills were on display, though, in the beginning with Mike Jackson and his selling, which Bobby is always great at. Let's hear a little bit more from Cowboy Bill Watts about this new tag team in Mid-South, the Midnight Express. Now, Bobby Eaton drove that in. And quick teamwork. A well-oiled machine. Jimmy Cornette said they would be. I've only seen him wrestle the one time. Devastating move there. I saw him in Memphis, Tennessee, like I say, and they've got some double tough athletes in Memphis, and they have some wild and woolly wrestling. These guys are no strength. Look at that. Using every ounce of strength and fiber and intensity and explosion he's got. Bobby Eaton adds to the punishment on Mike Jackson. Driving it in, and Jimmy Cornette strutting like a peacock, ringside, directing traffic. How nice it must be to be out there and take all the bows and none of the pain, none of the bruises. Abdominal stretch. He's got abdominal stretch upon on Mike Jackson. Condry reaches back, grabbing his own hand for the leverage. Now he's taunting Rick Rude. But you notice real quick how they try to keep Mike Jackson in there. They've got him into a lot of punishment. They don't want to let him out. Tag is made. Tag is made. The legal man, Bobby Eaton. Oh, I have never seen that move. Picked him up like for an atomic drop. Bobby Eaton coming off the top rope, decapitating him almost like a guillotine. 
and Mike Jackson down in defeat. Rick Rude never got a chance to get back in there, and Jimmy Cornett prances him to his tag champions. A smashing victory for the Midnight Express. We'll have more action coming up after this word from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Well, there it is, the debut of the Midnight Express. I'll let you describe that finish, Mike, but you heard Bill Watts' reaction, and we've talked about how this is a real change in Mid-South, and we talked about in the past how so many of the tag teams, if not every tag team, who have been the tag team champions in Mid-South since we've been doing this show, have been two singles wrestlers put together for a period of time. JYD and Olympia, DiBiase and Matt Bourne, really everyone since the Samoans who left in early 82, has been two singles wrestlers as tag team champions. Here you have a unit, a tag team, and they have what at that time in late 83 was a pretty impressive finisher here in this match. They would have other finishing maneuvers in other matches, but describe the finish of this match, Mike, and what do you think about the idea that here you have a clearly defined unit of a tag team, with a tag team name like the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette? So the first point, I'll answer that, that last question you answered, yes, first. I, I think it's I think it was so needed at this point to actually have an actual tag team that was a tag team because we had seen it now, and I don't want to list all the names, but we'd we'd seen so many, I'll call it mixed matched units that were tag teams. Um, you know, whether it's look, we had one with free bird rules, even though there's no free birds with DiBiase and and Olympia and, and Boris Zerkoff at one point. I mean, so and then we've had Duggan and T.A. So we've had a, a number of just just mixed match tag teams. So it's good to to have a unit and we're going to get another unit. Um, I also want to point out just because you're saying that, keep in mind, two and T.A., are kind of mixed match as well. But I think the way they told the story on TV, you know, with the whole coach relationship makes that actually okay because we'll see them end up tagging a lot now uh, going forward. So I want to point that out. They're kind of mixed match as we move forward. But at the same time, there's they like officially made a partnership. Anyway, so to answer your question, yeah, it's definitely good to see an actual tag team unit. The second thing, the finish. I thought Watts actually did a great job describing it. Dennis gets Mike Jackson up in what was looking like it was going to be a bit of a, a of a belly to back, um, like he, the way he picks him up, and he's got him hoisted over his head or an atomic drop even, but he keeps him held up high, and Bobby comes off the second rope and delivers an elbow to Mike Jackson's throat slash head area, and uh, credit Mike Jackson because when Mike Jackson takes the bump, he doesn't just fall on his back; he actually flips over his you know his. His legs go over and he he rotates completely. Uh, it really looked good, you know, for its time. I mean, we've seen stuff nowadays that you'd be like, well, what's the big excitement about this? But I mean, for back then, it was great. One other thing I got to mention, because this is this is this was great on commentary from Watts. You know, Watts put over the midnight there and and, you know, he's seen him in Memphis and all that stuff. He mentions how these guys and I think the term he used is these guys aren't dreadnoughts. We're used to like Ernie Ladd and Jim Duggan. and you know, many of these other big guys we've seen, he points that out. Like he makes that point. They're not these big guys we're used to, but they're, they have superior talent. As he said that and he puts them over in that way. So he's, he's driving the point home that like, you know, I don't consider the midnight express big guys by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm assuming nobody does. They are not big guys that we're used to in this mid South territory because mid South was considered at one point, the big guy territory it still is to this day, even though we get the midnight rock and roll, 
Um, but if you ask people, there were a lot of big guys, the, the, the Duggins, the, you know, and whatnot, uh, Bundy and, and so on and so forth. But anyway, so he points that out. And then the last thing he points out during this match that I just was, you know, cracking up about, he mentions Cornette's at ringside and Corny is strutting like a peacock. And he really was. If you watch Jimmy on the outside, he's he's he does the perfect thing. He's when the midnight are doing great things. He's 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 reacting to it during the finish. He's you know, he's he's pumping his hand up. He's got his hand in the air. Yeah. Uh, Corny is showing off that arrogance very early. And for me, this was the first time I ever saw him. And I was like, yeah, that son of a gun is going to get on my damn nerves. It's funny that Bill Watts said that Jim Cornette's strutting like a peacock because many of the things that Bill Watts called Jim Cornette will probably be edited off Peacock in the coming (laughs) weeks and months. So that's pretty funny there. But we go to our next match. Another return. Steve Dr. Death Williams returns against Frank Levert. Randy Pee-wee Anderson, the referee. Let's hear a little bit of audio from Cowboy Bill Watts on Dr. Death. And, of course, his hatred of Russians. Unless you're a hoss. Here's a guy that went right from football and amateur wrestling back into spring training. He didn't wrestle all year round like so many of them do. 17, 18, 19, 20 matches a year. And yet every year placed in the national championships. A man who is really outspoken about Nikolai Volkov. He, I almost have to use it. Well, you just got to go ahead and spit it out. He hates Russians. He was chosen for the world team in 1981, and he worked out with a Russian that he was to wrestle prior to the time they were to wrestle, and the Russian forfeited to him. And, you know, I know that the Russians have wrestled all the tough guys in the world and aren't afraid of anybody, but uh, that guy didn't want to. I knew he thought he could have a lot more technique than Doc, but there's something about Doc. Doc's just rugged. He's not going to slick you. He's not going to finesse you. He's just going to beat you. And right here on Mid-South Wrestling next week, Steve Dr. Death Williams is going to meet Nikolai Volkov. And he's asked for that match. Cross-body block by the Doc. And Steve Levert. Now Doc, sitting in that three-point stance, he was an offensive guard at the University of Oklahoma, waiting on Levert to get up. And Levert just wishes that he had never met Steve Dr. Death Williams right about now. He has been totally manhandled from the word go. And there's Doc got him up in the Oklahoma Stampede. I'm proud to say, my protege. All right. Your protege, a tremendous athlete, a great wrestler, Steve Dr. Death Williams, adds another victory to his long string of wins over Frank Lavert, and we'll have action and something interesting really coming up after these words from Mid-South. Well, there it is, Mike. Steve Dr. Death Williams beating Frank Lavert. We haven't seen Doc in a while. I have to say, he looked a little more impressive than the previous times we've seen him. And certainly, if you look at his first appearance in 1982, and then you look at him here, slimmed down a bit. Now, he's not what he would look like in a few years, but I think he certainly got into better shape between 1982 and this point at the end of 1983. But what are your thoughts on this and this match? He, he's he's getting better. I agree. He's He is improving, especially since we first saw him. I still think at this point, you know, he needed to slow down at times. I mean, he's he's not he just doesn't give his opponent time to register on some occasions. I won't say all because he's getting better. He definitely looks a little bit more trimmed down. I, I do agree there. He's definitely going to trim down some more and pack some muscle on, though, 
in the years to come. That's for certain. I mean, there's there's going to be a time where if you do a side by side next to him, uh, you know, in, in the 85 time frame versus when he came in in 82, you'll be like, man, that's only three year difference. Look at it. Look at how much different he looks. So that'll you know, you'll see that. But yeah, he's his body's going to change. He looks a lot better. He looks a little bit more patient, but he still needs to slow down a little bit. And of course, we got a geopolitical watch there as he as he weaved it into uh, amateur wrestling as related to Dr. Death. And we're told that next week, uh, what did he say? Dr. Death would take on Nikolai Volkov. So let's see what happens there. We then might go to an interview. We go to the desk and we then get shot to the interview, I should say, with Reeser Bowden interviewing Mr. Wrestling 2, Magnum T.A., and Leaping Lanny Poffo. Now, of course, it just happened on the show recently where it was announced that Mr. Wrestling 2 was going to be the mentor to Magnum T.A., the coach of Magnum T.A. And then we get this promo with T.A. and 2 along with Leaping Lanny. Let's go to this right now. Lord, we have the debut of a new team tonight, Leaping Lanny Poffo and Magnum T.A. And Reeser Bowden interviewed them earlier prior to wrestling. And he had some unusual things to say because, as you know, Wrestling 2 is the coach of Magnum TA, a man who doesn't sugarcoat anything. He says what he thinks, whether you like it or not. But this was a startling situation, and let's join that interview now. In recent months, the wrestling fans throughout the Mid-South area have grown to admire Magnum TA a great deal. In recent weeks, uh, the past couple of months possibly, uh, the same feelings have existed among the fans toward leaping Lanny Poffo. Good news for all you wrestling fans, because right here on this program today, you will see the formation of a new tag team, leaping Lanny Poffo and Magnum T.A. As you well know, Mr. Wrestling 2 has recently become the coach of Magnum T.A., and I'd like to see what Mr. Wrestling 2 thinks about the formation of this team. Well, first of all, you know, Reeser, there's something you always have got to do. And that study your opponents very carefully, because uh, you know it's just it's just things that you you've got the plant in the back of your mind to keep things right, and then to top that off, you also have to study your partner. For the very simple reason is that to have a good combination between two people, a good uh, uh, manipulation between two people, you've got to study each other. I don't particularly care to see this man in tag team matches to start with. I, I want to see him in singles because I want to make him not only just a good man, but the finest, the best in wrestling. But be what may be. You know, I, the prime example, just to throw something at you, take Poffel for an example. He comes for a, from a very bad family. His dad, needless to say, is, uh, had been the most nastiest individual in wrestling uh, for years. And uh, Poffo, as you well know, your brother kind of f followed right in footsteps. Uh, whether you follow that footstep, I don't know. But uh, needless to say, it uh, remains to be seen, my friend, on uh, what the outcome of this tag team will be. Well, that comes as a shock to me to hear Mr. Wrestling 2 say these kind of things about you. Well... <laughs> use the word my friend kind of loosely and uh, it behooves me to think that uh, why would a man want to wear a mask at least I have the guts to stand up here regardless of whatever my family's done you know I am a Poffo yes but I was drafted into the family I did not enlist and there are no strings on me I am not manipulated as you are trying to do with Magnum TA now I felt that a great star like TA 
Mid-South Wrestling is the land of opportunity. I thought that we could someday get together and be tag team champions. If you still want to be my partner, fine. However, I've got to be me. Say right now, obviously, there's a lot going on here that I don't know about. But what I what I do know is, that in every instance, Lenny Poffo has always handled himself with the utmost of of sportsmanlike conduct in every instance that I've seen him in the ring, and that is the only thing I can base my judgment on at this point. I think that we'll be a good team, and I think we'll be successful, and I think we've got a good shot at those tag team titles. It'll be very interesting to see the outcome. I think you can tell Lanny Poffo was flabbergasted and hurt, but he stood up and made his statement, and again, wrestling too is just that way. If he says something, he got a bone to pick with, he's going to lay it out. But as he says, it all comes out in the wash. But let's go to Jim Ross now and the crowd greeting this fantastic young team. Well, there it is. And we'll talk a little bit more about this during the next match, Mike. But a very interesting promo. Reeser Bowden, good to see him on the show this week. With T.A. and 2 and Lanny Poffo. And it starts, they're all in suits. Well, T.A.'s in a sweater and a shirt and tie. But the rest of them are in suits. Everyone seems to be getting along, and then it quickly takes a turn there. What are your thoughts? Boy, that took a turn. <laughs> Man. <laughs> like, okay, so, you you know, if if you're just listening to this, you don't see what's going on. But, you know, Brian did a good job. You know, you got you got T.A., he's in a suit and tie, uh, or two is in a, in a tie, but he's got a, a sweater on. You know, and, and Lanny's, he's got his, got his suit on. Well, at the beginning of the interview, as Reeser is introducing this thing, and he's like, oh, you know, we've got a new partnership here, a new tag team here. Uh, and Lanny is smiling like he's he's smiling. He's like, oh, this is great. You know, we, we're we're getting to the, you know, we're announcing this great partnership and tag team. He's got this just I don't want to say a smirk, but he's like happy. Right. And then. Two just out of nowhere, just starts running down Papo's family. And he doesn't like the idea of T.A. and Poffo tagging. He wants T.A., you know, single wrestling, and that's it. And Lanny's like, dude, where did that come from? Like, he's that, I didn't expect that. But the part that got me the most, Brian, Magnum is on the mic, and he goes, well, there's a lot more here than I know about. And research mouth, me too, and smirks. And <laughs> <laughs> again you don't see it in the in the in the audio because you can't see audio obviously but you see it when you're watching you're like what the heck Reeser couldn't get through it without going me too and he's smirking he's got a big smirk too it's one of those big Reeser smirks so yeah there's a lot going on here I mean for a second it's like okay well we're gonna get a new tag team and and then two just runs down Poffo and Poffo's family yeah, and right that- away he just goes take Poffo here now, he comes from a very bad family. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just a complete right turn. It would be like you and I cutting an episode of Mid-South and just out of the blue, I go, you know that, uh, take last here. He comes from a terrible family. You'd be like, where the hell did that come from? Like, um, it just was really random and it made you like pause and you're like, what? And then that's when T.A. grabbed the mic and he's like, there's a lot more here than I know about. And Reeser says, me too, and smirks. It just was uh, very, very weird, entertaining nonetheless, but very, very interesting uh, dynamic and promo when you sit back and watch it. And if you've got access um, to any of this stuff, because we know, you know, the move to Peacock, we don't even know if it's there at this point. But go back and watch this. Maybe I'll try to clip it for Twitter. It is very amusing to watch this interaction because, again, 
Papo's happy. Then two just out of you know just ninety degree turn right is like is like take Papo here. It comes from a horrible family. It's like what? Wait, whoa, bro, where'd that come from? <laughs> where where are we going? And then Reese is smirking when Magnum says, "Man, I don't know what the hell is going on here," but yeah, it's very interesting to see all this happen. And again, this is what we were talking about earlier too, Brian. I don't know if you want to talk about it at all. Where we're like, you know, there's some things that's going to happen with these three in the future that we're like wait, a direction definitely turned and didn't take place regarding this whole interview and what they're trying to set up here. Mr. Wrestling 2 seems to think our team will be moot. Why did I wake up so early and put on this suit? No, uh, the audio, <laughs> like you're talking about, will be apparent in the next match. You'll hear Cowboy Bill Watts kind of pushing us along the way of what we think this program was originally going to be. Now, of course, in the long run, not to play spoiler, TA and two get together as a tag team, get a run with the tag titles, leading into an eventual tag team loss because all champions have to lose their titles, and a lot of storytelling about the relationship between the coach, Mr. Wrestling 2, and the student, Magnum TA. But when you see and hear that previous promo, and when you hear some of the things said on commentary this week and next week and a couple of weeks, there's something that I don't believe is even on the network as it currently stands. It does make you think about where things may have been going. But let's go to this match. Mr. Wrestling 2 and Leaping Lanny Poffo versus Doug Vines and the debuting King Carl Fergie. Of course, Carl Fergie, the cousin of Jerry Lawler, using the King gimmick here as he did in Chattanooga in 1983. And well, this is 83 in the summer of 83. And he would soon become a referee in Mid-South Wrestling and get out of the ring. Rick Ferreira, the referee here. But let's go to this match and some audio from Cowboy Bill Watts about the Poffo family. Now you see Leaping Lanny Poffo in the ring and outside is his partner, Magnum T.A. And Bill, at the ring in a chair taking notes, is Mr. Wrestling 2. Well, that's right. Wrestling 2 is a, the coach of Magnum T.A. He's not his manager. He is strictly a coach on a on a professional basis. Wrestling 2 still pursues his own career. He's probably one of the top heavyweight wrestlers in the world today, a living legend. But he said he's watched Magnum TA for four or five years and that the young man has got what it takes. All he needs is the experience, and Wrestling 2 figures he can give him that experience. But he says he's got the height, he's got the body weight, he's got the strength, he's got the knowledge, and he's got the courage. And it looks like it's going to be a very important step in Magnum T.A.'s life and Magnum said the most progress he ever made in the amateur ranks was under good coaching and it only makes sense to have the best in the world coaching him and that's wrestling too and of course Leaping Lanny Poffo is an outstanding athlete and wrestling too is referring to Poffo's family his father Angelo Poffo who I wrestled in Chicago one time and he is an unscrupulous an unscrupulous vicious individual and, of course, his brother who wrestled with Randy Savage, the macho man, who is a crazy, a complete nut, but a double-tough son of a gun. And I talked to Poffo. Quick action out here. Magnum T.A. shows you just how quick and sudden he is. And Fergie and Vines get out of the ring and listen to this crowd. They love it. But like Lanny said, he said, you know, Bill, he said, a lot of times you do things out of loyalty out of loyalty to your family or love of an individual or loyalty to an organization. Maybe you don't agree with them, but you go along with it, especially when you're at a very young age. And he said, but a little over a year ago, he couldn't live with himself. 
and he left his family. And he's been in Canada in different places. He's not been around his brother or his father. And he says, all I can say is I'll do my talking out there in the ring, and I hope that Magnum T.A. will, will not let what he has heard or, or mistakes that I've made in the past uh, reflect on a relationship as long as I fulfill my end in the ring. But, of course, wrestling to a savvy, wise old fox. You know, he's he's always looking at all things. Like he says, you study your opponents. You study them not only to their wrestling technique, but to their background so you can know what they'll do under pressure. But you've also, he's been around long enough, and he's had people that have tried to take him on or double-cross him for one reason or another. And he says, you've got to know your partner as well as your opponent when you're in tag action. That's one. Oh, wow. Fergie, Fergie got... Leaping Lanny from behind outside the ring there. And he's putting a little pressure on Leaping Lanny. King Carl Fergie, a very, very much improved wrestler since the last time we saw him. Seems to have a lot of cockiness. Says he didn't get that crown because he won any popularity contest. He demanded it. And he's trying to really dish it out to Randy Poffo. To, excuse me, Randy Poffo. Leaping Lanny Poffo. Randy Poffo is Randy Savage or Macho Man. Well, there it is. The audio and. It really is interesting audio because it's, I think, a glimpse of where things were going to go. This is my opinion of where things were going to go in Mid-South Wrestling. Now, I think the ball was in motion to bring Randy Savage and Angelo Poffo into Mid-South Wrestling. Now, this is around the period of time where the Poffos reach out to Jerry Jarrett and eventually we finally get the Lawler-Savage feud, which had been built up for years on rival wrestling shows, just Lawler being run down by Savage, and then Lawler never mentioning anything about Savage, but people were aware of it. This is around that period of time. I think that would happen within a couple of weeks. Also, we know there's a track record from Bob Roop to Bob Orton Jr., Rip Rogers, Doug Vines, Jeff Sword, George Weingroff, Lanny Poffo, One Man Gang. ICW guys came to Mid-South Wrestling as a buffer to get back into the mainstream wrestling world after running an outlaw promotion against the NWA. I've also been led to believe in the past that Bill Watts at least says that he put in a word for Randy Savage, I believe, to Jerry Jarrett that it was okay to deal with this guy. I think the plan was for Randy Savage to come in with his dad, probably as his manager, and team with Lanny against TA in two. Of course, that would not happen, but we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. I think one of the things that certainly would have prevented it was the fact that Bill Watts hired Bill Dundee right around this period of time to be his booker, and, of course, in 1982, Randy Savage broke Bill Dundee's jaw in a fight in the parking lot of a gym outside of Nashville where he jumped him. I mean, he jumped Bill Dundee. It was a legit thing. It wasn't an angle on wrestling television, for those of you unaware of it. So that would have certainly killed it off. But I think based on the promo we heard, based on the commentary here where Bill Watts is talking a lot about people who are not there and have never been there before, and were never on national television before, I think all signs point to Mid-South Wrestling 
if the deal wasn't done with Jerry Jarrett, you would have had Randy Savage in Mid-South Wrestling right around this period of time. And even with the deal done with Jerry Jarrett and things still kind of up in the air, you know, the Midnight Express are here. No one else is here yet. Rock and Roll, Terry Taylor, Buddy Landell. It's just a Midnight Express. I think it was still in play here for Randy Savage, who had yet to debut in Memphis, to come to Mid-South. Mike, what are your thoughts about all that? Again, this is just me giving my educated opinion about what I thought was happening here. But what are your thoughts about all that? And if any thoughts about this match? I think you're spot on. You made a couple of points, but let me reinforce uh, one thing. You said it. We got the promo before the match where things just went awry and two attacked Pafo's family. And then, so we, we heard that. Magnum's like, man, I don't know what's going on here. But then we get to the match and we got Watts is not doing anything on commentary that's not calculated. Uh, because we've seen when he doesn't have anything to say, he just shuts up. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Why I fully feel like the specific stuff that Watts says about, you know, Lanny Poffo, he says that Poffo left his family. He's been completely removed from them. He, you know, he's like, watch, you know, you're born in a family. You, you do have loyalty to them to, to a point. But then at some point, you, 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 you remove yourself from it. So it felt like, to go along with what you're saying, the wheels were, were in motion for something. And it felt like Watts was trying to set it up as in Lanny's telling him, look, man, I, I was loyal to my family, and, but they were my family, but I've been removed from it from at this point because, you know, I, I, I see the faults. It feels like Watts was setting it up to be like, okay, well, as a viewer in, in, of the show, we should give Lanny the benefit of the doubt. He's not a terrible human being. We got to let's give him the benefit of the doubt with T.A. And furthermore, they've got him tagging here. They go over. And when Magnum hits Vines with the belly to belly. So it felt like Watts was also based on what you're saying. It, it feels like he's reinforcing and he didn't know what you were going to say, you know, 30 plus years later. But it feels like he was reinforcing the thoughts that you shared about the direction that they may have been going with bringing in Randy and Randy and Lanny would team against two and TA. It feels like that when you listen specifically to the commentary. So that's kind of where I was going, was thinking as you were talking about everything you set up there, it definitely feels like that's what was going to happen. Magnum TA and Lanny Poffo win after TA hits a belly to belly suplex on Doug Vines. We then go to another interesting moment here on the show. A promo sent in from the set of Georgia Championship Wrestling or World Championship Wrestling from Ted DiBiase, who we have not seen in months. What are your thoughts about, before we play any audio here, the reappearance of Ted DiBiase, Mike? Uh, yeah, this was really interesting because when it, it we haven't seen him in a while. I don't think DiBiase's name outside of a casual mention and not when I say casual, I mean a mention not related to an angle. I don't think DiBiase's been mentioned much. And, you know, a viewer as a kid, I was like, wait, what? They just showed this? And then DiBiase comes on there and I, I almost want to wait. I don't want to say there's something he does at the end that I don't want to mention right here. I'd rather react to it once the people listen to it for those who haven't heard it before. Uh, at the very end of the promo, but it's just very interesting because he sounds devious and he talks about he, how he picked up some new tricks and 
and people in Mid-South, I think he says something about, you know, you better watch your back because you never know. It's very interesting that they just injected this right here at this moment into the show. Let's go to this promo. For the first time in a long time on Mid-South Wrestling, Ted DiBiase. August 31st, right here on Mid-South Wrestling, Hacksaw Dugan defeated Ted DiBiase and forced him to leave Mid-South. DiBiase has been in Japan and is chomping at the bit, and he sent this warning. <laughs> no, Jim Duggan, don't get up and adjust your television set. Don't touch a thing. You're not seeing a ghost, no. Just get those Coke bottle glasses that you wear and put them on your face and take a long, hard look into the face of a man that I'm sure you never thought you'd see again, a man that you thought you were rid of, Jim Duggan, a man that took you from nothing, from a preliminary wrestler, and took you all the way to the top, to the main event status, and then was rewarded by what? By being turned on and then suspended from Mid-South. I was not only suspended from Mid-South wrestling, Jim Duggan, I was suspended all the way across the United States. That's right, Ted DiBiase, Jim Duggan. I was suspended all the way across the United States. I had to go to Japan to wrestle. But the time is up, and I'm back, Jim Duggan. I'm back, and in the words of Skandar Akbar, you are nothing but a filthy hippie, and you're running in scum with scum, and they say scum hangs together, you and that flea-bitten, no-good junkyard dog. I don't want either one of you to forget this face because I haven't forgotten a thing. I haven't forgotten all the time and the anguish that you've caused me. I'm coming back. That's right. Junkyard dog, Jim Duggan, you better start looking over your shoulder again. You better start looking around corners and going wide around them because you don't know. And you don't know when and you don't know where. And yes, while I was in Japan, I picked up a few new tricks for my bag of many in a hole. I can't wait to try them out on you, Jim Duggan, and you, Junkyard Dog, wherever it may be. Just keep your eyes open and never forget that I am somewhere close. <laughs> well, DBSE, the man you're talking about is in the ring now. Let's go to Jim Ross. Well, there it is, the return of Ted DiBiase to Mid-South TV. And again, Mike, this goes to what we spoke about earlier with Dusty Rhodes appearing a few weeks ago with the teases of Randy Savage on this episode and Ted DiBiase seemingly announcing his return to Mid-South Wrestling, which wouldn't happen. He would not return to Mid-South Wrestling here. There's a lot of things in play that either are going to or never happen in Mid-South around this period of time. And it's really interesting to think about what could have been. What may have been the direction of Mid-South Wrestling in the early months of 1984? But what are your thoughts about this promo? Yeah, this is interesting, Brian. I mean, we've got this Ted DiBiase interview comes out of nowhere. Correct me if I'm wrong once I'm done because I can get long-winded. But um, we, we had no thought of DiBiase coming in at any point um, to do anything. I mean, there's been no inclination. They've, we've, we've heard his name mentioned, but it was mentioned in reference to him leaving town and things like that. So we didn't know that DiBiase was, uh, he, I mean, we knew he was out there, but yeah, he's gone. So randomly out of nowhere, we get this from Georgia, Ted DiBiase, and he just sounds really, really devious. Like, and he claims he's picked up some new tricks along the way and, and Duggan, which are Coke bottle glasses, which is, feels like a rib because 
I don't remember if we've seen Duggan on TV with his glasses, but then again, no, he's done some promos where he had them on. Now that I think about it. So anyway, I thought that was cool how he like threw that in, you know, with your Coke bottle glasses. But, you know, he just he kind of deviously laughs and says, you know, you never know, you know, watch yourself. You never know where I could be coming from. And it's interesting because, you know, and again, I don't want to play spoiler, but he's not going to be back for a while. So uh, and when I say a while, I mean a while. He finishes the promo. Months. I mean, let's just be clear. He's not coming back until much later in 1984. What, September 84, October 84, somewhere in that range. Yeah, that's why I say when I when I say you're right to clarify when we say a while, we mean months, months down the road. So this is just injected into this episode. and We're like, what the heck's going on? So uh, but at the end, Brian, I did want to ask you, you know, you're from the Northeast. I'm not going to consider you a WWF guy, E guy, but um. When he when he does the laugh, like what did you think as you rewatch this? I mean, it's the million dollar man laugh, and we don't have a lot of the local promos from his heel run, his initial heel run here, but we did not hear that laugh too often in Mid South Wrestling. And and that's where I was going with that. Like, so and I again I don't remember all the local promos. I watched this stuff as a kid, but it's so long ago. I don't remember all the local promos and and you know, if he was laughing and whatnot like that back then. But when I heard that here, that was my first reaction. Damn, that's the million dollar man laugh. Like, that's exactly what that was. And so I I didn't want to spoil it before you played it. And I definitely wanted to ask you about it as you heard it. But certainly it was the million dollar man. laugh. Well, it would what would become years from now, the million dollar man laugh. But I mean, it's just incredible kind of when you watch it. So uh, look, this doesn't go anywhere, but it is very interesting to watch this just placed on Mid-South Wrestling you know, in 1983, because it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? Especially when you watch it now and you're like, you got the hindsight of what happened, you know, what's going to happen in the months ahead where we never see him again. You're like, well, that's random. So I I just wanted to point that out as we're talking about it. But still a fun little promo to assess and look at. But yeah, it doesn't go anywhere at this point in time. And again, to think about what it could have been with a Randy Savage coming in and a Ted DiBiase returning, it would have been a completely different look to Mid-South Wrestling in early 84. But we go to our next match, Hacksaw Duggan versus Larry Higgins, Johnny Martinez, the referee, Jim Duggan wins with a spear. Any notes or thoughts about this match, Mike? Uh, I'm mesmerized by uh, Larry Higgins' boots, as we discussed last week. I'm just like, what, what's going on? Trying to figure it out. Um, it's, I'm mesmerized, and I'll leave it at that. Like, who were they made for? Are those his? I just, I'm mesmerized. But um, I get a kick out of Larry Higgins when he, when I watch him wrestle these days. It's, it's, it's nothing special. It's just, you know, he's improved, but he still is a little awkward, big dude in the ring type thing. So nothing else. Like you said, Duggan wins. Well, we then go to another interesting segment to end the show. While Jim Duggan is finishing his match and he gets his victory, at the table next to Bill Watts, apparently, is Tom Lintz, who we've never seen before. Let's go to this. Hacksaw Dugan taking the victory. Now, here's Bill Watts talking to Tom Lintz regarding next week's match. Tom, there you see your opponent for your first appearance next week here on Mid-South Wrestling. What do you think? That's all right. I was told he was a big, quick, tough man, and he looks every bit of that. But I've got news for him. I've put together a good scouting report on this man. I'll be ready. I'm an unknown quantity to him. I will know something about him. And what is your size and your body weight? I'm 6'4", 275 pounds, and I play a little football too, Hacksaw. Well, one thing's for sure, 
He doesn't know you, and now you know him. We'll have that next week here on Mid-South Wrestling. And, Boyd, back to you. There you have it, Bill. And, folks, next week, Tom Lentz versus Hacksaw Jim Dugan. And don't forget another TV main event here on Mid-South Wrestling. Steve Dr. Death Williams against the powerful Russian Nikolai Volkov. I invite you to join Bill Watson myself here next week on Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Okay, Mike, what was that? Where did that come from? And, and by the way, he did a fine promo. It's nothing against him, but out of nowhere, a guy we've never seen before, who's a big guy, he's bigger than Watts. He's challenging Duggan to a match next week, but it's out of nowhere. What is this? I, I, I want to be able to give you an explanation, but I've got no clue what the heck that was about at the end of the show. I mean... We've seen him there where they don't time it exactly right. And maybe, you know, Boyd and Watts kind of just mention a few things, recap a few things. This felt extremely random. And I, I, Brian, I, I'm i at a loss to describe what we saw here. Tom Lentz is going to be in action next week. And I believe it's against um, Duggan. But uh, this felt extremely, extremely random. I don't have an explanation. And, and I, for that, I apologize. <laughs> Well, with that, we wrap up another episode of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. We told you things would start getting exciting here on the show. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts or on Facebook, facebook.com slash ArcadianVanguard. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com available wherever you find your favorite podcast. And if you want to join in and have discussions or read about Mid-South Wrestling or this specific podcast, check out the Kayfabe Memories message board, tinyurl.com slash wrestling history forum. There's a forum for Mid-South Wrestling talk as well as for talk about this specific podcast. Check it out today, tinyurl.com slash wrestling history forum. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and booking the territory? Give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. When I have time, I post clips uh, from our shows that Brian and I do. Uh, these, uh, like the, the Reeser one, I've got to clip that one when he just smirks and laughs at the, the promo that we saw today with TA and, and two and, and Poffo. Good stuff. So give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. You can listen to book and listen to Booking the Territory at tinyurl.com slash bttpod. Or search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. We are the unprofessional wrestling podcast for a reason. The jokes are terrible. The language is strong, but it's still fun nonetheless as we review old school classic wrestling. I haven't mentioned this a few weeks on the show, but you know, for, for a while we were doing our Smoky Mountain Wrestling recaps once a week. And um, we did all 200 episodes of SMW. You can find them at tinyurl.com slash bttpod where we reviewed the entire promotion, the same format that Brian and I do here with the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Pod. Same thing on the Smoky Mountain Show. You can get all those from our old episodes. Right now, we are into 1990, late 89, early 1990 on our NWA Saturday Night on TBS Recaps. Come check us out, myself, Hardbody Hopper, and Doc Turner, as we have a good time discussing the ridiculousness of, uh, I almost said JCP, of uh, the NWA and WCW on Saturday night in 89 and 90. You can also get... We went back as far back as 1985 with those reviews. So lots of great promos where we discussed it. Had a good time doing so. So check out the show there. Brian, I, I, we said it for weeks before we get out of here, just reinforcing 
man, we're 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 on the uptick now, as you can see just from the length of this episode versus last week when we had nothing to talk about. This week we had everything to talk about, even the stuff that didn't make sense. We still had a lot to talk about. So good stuff here. Looking forward to now months ahead of Mid South Wrestling. The Mid South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Your producer is Jace Nakarado. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally ho! Mm-hmm.